daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose, uh, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. The word of the Lord. Thanks be Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He will not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins. For as the high, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, as a father shows compassion to his children. For he knows our frame. He us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when your grace 
when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated if you don't mind. In a moment, we are going to do what's called the imposition of ashes. I'm going to explain that a little bit. But I, I want to talk a little bit first about this notion of fasting in the first place. This idea that we get from Old Testament and New Testament scripture. Why do we fast? I don't like fasting, if I'm honest with you, very much at all. I'm not very good at it. Um, I like my food, and I like good beer, and uh, I like to be with friends and to eat that stuff. I've shared with you guys before how, how much I prize my trail mix. It's in a locked refrigerator in my garage. But we, we fast as a way to show with our bodies that we are repentant of our sins and reliant not on food solely or drink, but on the word of God. On the word and breath of God. It is a way that our bodies show our faith and reveal a deep desire to return to God. Fasting in that way is a sort of prayer. A prayer your body makes. Now prayer um, itself is a kind of abstaining, isn't it? It's an abstaining from speaking to others. Or going about our day. You take a moment and you stop and you pray. It can even sometimes and maybe should be more often... A time to abstain from speaking when we pray. Maybe we should do a lot more listening. So when you think about fasting, it's our body's expression of prayer. Now, we live in a world that doesn't like to talk too much about repentance and prayer, certainly not about fasting. It is no wonder that this world we live in also does not do a good job of curbing its own appetites and desires. In truth, I think we can recognize the opposite in our world. The world goes out of its way to fulfill its appetites and desires to the nth degree. Did you know it's National Margarita Day? There's a day for any kind of consumption, I feel like. And I, I cannot tell you the countless emails I've gotten just this morning and in the days prior letting me know Margarita Day was on its way. It will take um, superhuman strength to keep me from after the service to be at one of the local taco joints and grabbing a couple of, for myself. But this, this is the nature of our world, right? We find excuses and reasons to celebrate 
consuming and fulfilling our basis appetites and desires. The world is not interested in the sort of life our faith calls us into. Our life of faith is a contrarian one. The life of faith runs counter to the ways and practices and direction of the world. You, by coming here today, have made it known that you recognize this truth and wish to fulfill your ob obligations to God. And if that means sacrificing Margarita Day in order to come wor worship, you'd rather do that than to fulfill your appetite. No, you have an appetite for God, don't you? We all do. And here is a little secret that our world has yet to discover. God is the only thing that truly can fulfill your appetites and your desires. Our fasting is a reminder of that. So enough of that, what is fasting? Um, I think it's important here, especially as you look at what Jesus talks about in fasting and treasure, but also in the, the words of Isaiah. Like, how do you identify a false fast? Because it's everywhere, and it is sneaky. It sneaks up on ourselves, too, at times. So if you have your Bibles, or you can look in your bulletin in Isaiah chapter 58, I just want to spend five or six minutes going through it and then we'll do the imposition of the ashes. Um, you have to understand that when God calls to the people of Isaiah, this was almost 3,000 years ago, and it was during a time that Israel was not at its height. He says later in the, in the last few verses of Isaiah 58 that they, in fact, had ruins, that things were in disrepair, and their, their once mighty glory was a shell of itself, right? But the real issue of false fasting and true fasting is one of comparative religions, Israel has started to worship God the way the Canaanites had worshipped their gods. It was a kind of manipulation where we would persuade our God so that he had to act or she had to act, depending on who you were and what you were doing. It was common practice for the Canaanites to, to, to compel their, their gods to act by sacrifice alone. And so you can see it in these first few verses when God says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. They ask of me righteous judgments, and then they say, why have we fasted? And you see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. They're, they're like saying, we've done our part, God. Where are you? It's a little tit for tat, a little quid pro quo, if I'm using those words correctly. They, there was no taking delight as God urges them on later on in Isaiah 58 in the Sabbath. The Sabbath was probably the clearest difference between the Canaanite religions and the religion, well, that is the foundation of our faith. It brings us a little bit to the heart of the matter because the Sabbath tells the world that life's timetable time belongs to God and not to us. And so part of the, the, the real frustration with, that God had was in this false fasting as they were attempting to compel God to act as if he was obligated to us. And he was trying to urge them to be content with what they have and to find joy in obedience alone. This is what fasting can reorient for you. A false fast is a hypocritical one. Verse 3, why have we fasted and we see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And yet he goes on to say in that verse and in the following verses that they weren't seeking justice, that they were treating their brothers and sisters and their neighbors poorly. 
I don't think you can find a more clear example of how to identify a false fast than when you find somebody who's a hypocrite that goes and practices religious activities, even fasts, and then there's an actual denying of our, ha- our appetites. Look what he says again in verse 3. Um, I think it's verse 3. Oh, verse 3b, this helps. Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure. So <laughs> you have their appetites. They, they fasted that day, but then they go right around and fulfill their appetites. Hypocrisy was happening within a 24-hour period for them. Uh, false fast um, is also uh, meant, uh, a real fast is meant for, um, sorry, a false fast is trying to obligate and compel God. So um, someone wrote, uh, what should be a delight, the Sabbath is an example of this, is a calculated policy aimed at producing a heavenly reaction. This is what we mean by compel or try to obligate God. And they should be taking delight in their day and in their worship and i know what you're thinking it sounds a little bit like when you try to tell your kids church is fun and they smile at you and think you're ridiculous they scoff it's not so much fun as it is good when the lord says delight in observing the sabbath or you get the impression that we're supposed to delight in worshiping god it's not an idea of fun although there's sometimes there's fun to it but it's a little bit more like taking a shower or brushing your teeth and i look to my kids and i say don't you feel better now so those things can be, honestly, delightful. And anytime someone uses the word calculated to refer to someone's worship, it is a fair clue that something is wrong. It's why Spock always made a poor, poor boyfriend. Because calculating, when it comes to relationship, is not an activity of the heart, let's say. So we get hints here, um, even from the beginning in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, of what God thinks about our worship and what we should be doing. It should be one that um, is something we take delight in. But more on that in a moment. Now, false faith is incredibly hard to recognize. And you can see from some of this stuff that these faith of these Israelites who are worshiping like the Canaanites, they were worshiping every day. They were committed. They were devoted. They were focused on God. If you knew someone like that in your church or some other church, you might think they're very religious folk. They have a strong faith. The Canaanites probably thought that of the Israelites. That's real. And yet God criticizes them. Why? Because their, face, their, their fasting and their prayers were disingenuous and it amounted to nothing. So what is a, how do you identify a true fast? And this is the, the difficult part, but a, but a good part. In verse 58, he starts to go on and starts to talk about um, uh, sharing their bread, what a real fast looks like, um, justice shining like the dawn, all these things, a real righteousness that sometimes is not seen from these outward religious practices. And what's clear is, and this is unique about Christianity too, I think this is true, is that our relationship with God is directly connected, the authenticity, authenticity of it, the realness of it, is also directly linked to how you treat your brothers and sisters, your neighbors. And so if one is amiss, then there's something wrong with the other. If our faith in God doesn't lead us, or suddenly we turn around and we go to an Ash Wednesday service or a Sunday morning service or even a prayer night, and then we turn around and we're a jerk to our neighbor, what what are we doing? And so God starts to identify what is is a, a fast that is a true fast. 
obviously you can think of all the negative things. It's not hypocritical, right? It's not trying to obligate God. Well, there's two things I want you to notice, and I just uh, gave you a hint to both of them. One is your relationship with man is tracking along the same lines as your relationship with God. And two, you are actually taking delight in the obedience and the worship of God in and of itself. Do you remember that passage in the New Testament where Jesus says, he talks about the goodness of fathers. And he says, you know how to give good gifts. This is Mark's, Mark's uh, uh, generalized translation. You know how to give good gifts to your children. Well, what do you think happens when you ask the father for something? Wouldn't the father, if you asked, give you the Holy Spirit if you asked him for it? Of all the gifts that, the God, that God could have asked or, or, or gave an example of what to ask for, the gift he wants to give to us most is himself. You notice that? So we talk about the marks of a true fast. It's not just that our relationship with man is tracking along the same way with our relationship with God, but that we've learned the ultimate gift, the most fulfilling satisfaction for our delights and appetites is God himself. So finally, he starts to talk about, so what's the product of that? What's the end product of that? Well, he says in verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, I think this is hitting all of us at some point, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I think we can see how this affects our own spiritual lives and how this uh, uh, buttresses up our faith and gives us a foundation. But this isn't the only thing either. Either Earlier on, he was saying, no, even your streets shall be repaired. What God gives is concrete. But the difference is, is that we're not compelling God by our action. No. God has compelled himself. God has obligated himself to us out of covenant, out of promise. So, so here's where, where the Canaanites get this wrong, the world gets this wrong, and Israelites and Christians who worship like Canaanites or the world gets wrong. There's nothing more we can do to obligate God to love us or to provide for us or to see our needs or to fulfill our desires and appetites. Do you understand that? If you get nothing else from today, remember that. There is nothing more we can compel God to do for us than what he's already done through Jesus Christ and continues to do for us. So our religious practices is not meant to move God. If anything, it's just meant to move us. No, what we're tempting to do is to delight ourselves in the Lord. And sometimes it takes a little time. And so that's why we spend almost 40 days in Lent to prepare ourselves for Easter and the Resurrection Sunday when we can truly rejoice. Because there will be one day, if I can end with this, there will be one day when there will be no need for fasting anymore. That when Christ returns in glory and might, that we don't have to mourn that we are separated from him. No more sins to repent from. Christ has paid it all, and he will be king once again. Amen?